Welcome to The Wrap, a weekly podcast about women's sports news and big stories. Every episode, we'll cover what's happened over the weekend, a favourite story, and what to watch in the coming week. My name is Chloe Dalton. I'm an Olympic gold medalist in rugby sevens and an AFLW player. I'm joined by my co-host, Millie Dawson. Millie is an athlete manager who works with some of Australia's top female athletes. Hello, Millicent. Hello. <laughs> How has your weekend been? Good. I'm freezing. Me too. Wouldn't it be nice to have a really trendy hoodie to be wearing? Like a TFAP hoodie? Well, you know, I think that'd be pretty nice. Mm. Um, yeah. So if there were to be hoodies coming soon, I would head to the link in our bio, put your email in so you can be the first to find out. Absolutely. Quick segue into the episode. Coming up on today's episode, we'll be joined by Olympic gold medalist Emily Cherry, who has just announced her retirement from Rugby Sevens. But first, let's take a look around the grounds. In soccer, former Matilda Catherine Canooley has been named the head coach of the Western Sydney Wanderers Football Club. She finished her playing career at the Wanderers in 2014 before rejoining the club in 2017 as an assistant coach. And she's also been a very big development officer for the younger players in Western Sydney for the past six years. In 2020, she was named Female Coach of the Year at the Female Football Awards for her work at the Wanderers and in grassroots football across the West. She started building the list for 2021-22, and it's really cool to see the way that a player has been able to uh, work their way up the ranks from assistant coach to now being head coach of the team, and I hope to see this happening across multiple codes of women's sport as time progresses. Still on soccer, a new partnership between Network 10 and Paramount Plus was announced with the W League as one of the sports included in the partnership. It will be the first time all Australians will have access to the W League on commercial free-to-air TV. The new $200 million deal over five years will see one W League match aired on Sunday afternoons on 10 Bold with the remainder of the games hosted on Paramount Plus streaming platform. This partnership ends the 15-year partnership between Foxtel and the A-League and W-League. I think it's super important to have these games on free-to-air for exposure for the girls. So this is a really great announcement. Visibility is where it's at. In CrossFit, the Torian Pro took place over the weekend at Pat Rafter Arena on the Gold Coast. Athletes competed in seven events across the three days with Cara Saunders taking the win overall and has claimed her ticket to the CrossFit Games, which will take place in the US in August. Cara is a really incredible athlete. She's been competing in CrossFit uh, for almost 10 years. She made her debut in 2012 at the Games. She had her first little girl, um, Scotty, in 2019, returned to comp nine months later. Um, so just a super, uh, such an incredible athlete. This will be her eighth CrossFit Games appearance. Um, she'll be competing alongside uh, Tia Claire our other Aussie um, in the games, which will be really exciting. Tia wasn't at the Torian Pro, was she? No, she wasn't. Um, she's actually based in the US. She's been based there for the last couple of years and it was, uh, it was too tricky. She was really hoping to get back uh, for the, um, this tournament, but due to quarantine um, and just the difficulty in getting flights back to Australia, um, her and her husband Shane, who's also her coach, decided to compete in the US at one of the semifinal events there. In basketball, the 12-strong women's basketball team for the Tokyo Olympics has been announced by the Australian Olympic Committee. 33-year-old Jenna O'Hay was named captain of the Opals after a nine-year gap between her debut in London 2012 and second Olympic team in Tokyo. Also notable, 30-year-old Tess Madgen was ecstatic to make her Olympic debut after being in the squad for 10 years. Um, pretty, Pretty good example of resilience and determination there from Tess. 
The Opals are aiming to add to their rich Olympic legacy with three Olympic silver and two bronze medals from Atlanta 1996 to London 2012, as well as a 2018 World Cup silver in Spain. Sandy Brondello, also uh, Australian basketball royalty, she was a four-time Olympian and triple Olympic medalist, takes the reins for her first Olympic Games as head coach. The team are currently ranked number two in the world. They've been drawn in Pool C with pool matches against Belgium, Puerto Rico and China, tipping off on the 27th of July in Saitama Super Arena. In three-on-three basketball, Australia's Olympic dream unfortunately has ended after a 14-12 loss to Spain in the quarterfinals. In surfing, Tokyo Olympics-bound Sally Fitzgibbons is finding form when it matters most, winning her first World Surf League event of the season at Rottnest Island. After defeating fellow Aussie Tyler Wright in the semis, Fitzgibbons beat French surfer Johanne Defay 15-24 to 11-2 in last week's final, with the win lifting her to second spot in the world rankings. In netball, it was the first week of the Indigenous round. This year, um, it has been split over two weeks to ensure that all teams can have a home game during this period. You may remember last year, Gemma Maimai, the only Indigenous player in the Super Netball competition, um, failed to hit the court during the Indigenous round. But however, this year she played 48 minutes in the thriller against the Vixens. Unfortunately, the Firebirds um, didn't take the win this week with the debutant Rani Samason handing the Melbourne Vixens a victory after the final buzzer. The scores were tied at 64 all when the buzzer sounded. The match seemed destined for extra time. However, the umpire had called a penalty just before time with Samson converting a two-point shot to hand the Vixens a 66-64 to victory and win their first match of the season. That is so impressive on debut to be that. And to hit the shot after the buzzer. Like, that's amazing. That's things that you see in the movies. Yeah. Yeah, make a movie. <laughs> uh, <laughs> now it's time for the key story. Liz Cambridge has been back in the media this week after she called out the Connecticut Sun head coach, Kurt Miller, after making a comment about her weight. Uh, so Liz Cambridge plays for the Aces in Las Vegas and they were up against the Connecticut Suns. Um, Miller, who's the coach of the opposition team, told a referee, come on, she's 300 pounds. So that equates to about 136 kilos while he was arguing a call in the Aces' favor in the Suns' eventual win in their WNBA clash. Um, Liz went on to her Instagram stories and called him out. She actually double-checked her weight and she said, I'm actually 235 pounds, so about 105 kilos. And she said how proud she was of, um, of her body. She stands at 203 centimeters tall. Like, that's, that's over two meters. That's huge. Yes, it is. <laughs> Good maths. Um, <laughs> no, but that's, um, yeah, very tall. Yeah. But pretty much she called him out and said, don't ever disrespect me or another w- woman in the league. Um, by talking about their weight, which I think is totally a great call to make. And he's since apologized. He's been fined $10,000 and suspended for one game. It's really great to see women um, confident to call out people on social media. And often that's the only way that it gets recognized is Mm. them um, speaking this to their audience. Um, Naomi Osaka actually made an announcement last week um, that she won't be participating in press conferences or media interviews during the French Open to protect her mental health. She released a statement across her social media accounts stating that it is nothing personal to the tournament, but hoping it would bring awareness to athletes being asked questions that completely ignore their mental health. Naomi said in her statement, we're often sat there and asked questions that we've been asked multiple times before or asked questions that bring doubt into our minds. And I'm just not going to subject myself to people that doubt me. 
She continued on to say um, if organ- if the organizations think that they can just keep saying do press or you're going to be fined and continue to ignore the mental health of the athletes that are the centerpiece of their corporation, then I just got to laugh. Asaka has been fined almost $20,000 after taking her first event win and the organization has threatened to throw her out of the French Open if she continues to skip media. It's a lot of money. That is a lot of money. What do we think about this? Because I picture myself after a game, particularly if I've lost, I can guarantee you I would be in absolutely no rush to walk into a room full of journalists grilling me on questions about my performance. Yeah, I just think it's um, – I think there's a time and place for media interviews. Mm. Um, straight after a loss, I think it's really insensitive to the mental health of these athletes, which is exactly what Naomi's calling out. And I think anyone with um, a shred of decency in their heart will see these athletes, and no one wants to see an athlete break down in a media interview. Mm. I think it's horrible to watch if it's on their own accord and they're wanting to uh, be vocal about what's happened. But when they're pressed with questions that journalists know are going to – um, trigger something within them. Mm. It's really horrible to see. Not, I don't think anyone really wants to see that. I remember watching um, an interview with uh, Serena Williams after the Australian Open and she had just been knocked out of the competition. And one of the journalists asked her if this is going to be her last Australian Open appearance. Um, and she had to walk out of the media conference. And it's, it's just nothing. You, I, I personally, I don't want to see that from athletes. I love hearing from athletes. But that's not how I want to see them. I mm. think um, I, I don't know. I'd love to get your perspe- perspective on you know how would you um, go about doing media interviews after a tournament um, as you're obviously an athlete and, and what <laughs> you would what you would prefer um, in that instance. Yeah, I think they've got to be given a window of time that they can go away, do their recovery, talk to their coach, debrief with whoever's in their close circle, and then from there almost have the choice about whether they want to do press or not. I just. I understand that as an athlete, when you sign contracts and you commit to different events, there's a lot of things that come with that and a lot of expectations. But I just, it blows my mind that you can be fined $140,000 for saying no to a press conference because of your mental health. Like it just doesn't make sense. No, not at all. And it's interesting um, with the post that we got up on social media last week around, I guess, this idea of media, social media, a lot of pressures that are put on um, not just female athletes, but athletes as a whole. And, and some of the data that we shared that's come out of New Zealand from the women's um, high-performance sport around the impact that social media is having on elite female athletes and the way that mm. it's making female athletes feel that they have to live up to this traditional idea of this perfect feminine body image because of what they're seeing on social media. Yeah. Now it's time for the presser. Australian Rugby Sevens player Emily Cherry has announced her retirement in the lead-up to the Tokyo Olympics. Cherry was a member of Australia's gold medal winning team at the 2016 Rio Olympics, a match winner in Australia's first World Series triumph in the 2015-16 season, and the first Aussie to win World Sevens Player of the Year in 2014. Uh, We've got my teammate Emily on the line with us now. Em, thanks so much for joining us. To kick us off, can you tell us a bit about your childhood growing up in Roma? Uh, thanks, Chloe. Thanks for having me. Um, I think now you have to uh, say that I'm your ex-teammate oh, now. Oh, no. My my Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so I guess my journey started uh, in Roma and, um, you know, I grew up in a family that loved all kinds of sports and, you know, my parents ran every single sport in town and, um, yeah, so my life 
loved round sport. Um, I didn't particularly love a particular sport. I played everything mainly because they needed numbers or, you know, I played up a few age groups. Um, so, you know, that gave me really good experiences and just that's where I guess the love of sport came from. We heard from Quirky during season one um, of the Female Athlete Project that she received a letter in the mail to come and try Rugby Sevens. Was your introduction to the sport similar? Yeah, it was actually. Um, so, yeah, Quirky, uh, we started um, together and have known each other for now, I think it's over 15 years um, that Whoa, we started. Wow. <laughs> yeah, not giving my age away, but we started giving, um, you know, playing each other in under 15s. She played for New South Wales. I played for Queensland and um, we kind of had that rivalry growing up that she was kind of the main person in their team and, you know, I played for Queensland and I think we won majority if not all of the games yeah so it's a really cool journey that we started there and then we went on to play and for the Australian Women's Open Touch team together um, and then ended up playing a World Cup for Touch and then got scouted across uh, to play rugby sevens and yeah the same I got a letter in the mail and um, my mum told me I'd be absolutely crazy not to give it a go and I thought it was just really cool because it was a free trip to the AIS and <laughs> Um, yeah, I guess growing up and loving sport and we visited there on a year seven trip. We bussed it from Roma to Canberra and visited the AIS and I knew it was all about sport and that's where I wanted to be. So, yeah, I kind of chased that crazy dream and um, didn't really think about long term or where I'd end up, but um, just, you know, yeah, took it step by step. Long term, it worked out pretty well. You scored 131 tries across your World Series career. Um, you'll probably try and say something annoyingly humble, but what did you try and bring to the game in terms of the way that you would read defenders and create space for your teammates? I don't know. Sevens is such a simple game, and I think we try to overcomplicate it so much. And, you know, the crux of it, if you beat one player, there's going to be an overlap somewhere, or if someone else beats one player, there's going to be a gap for you to create for someone else. And I guess that's, you know, the essence of it. But, yeah, I guess coming from a touch background, I love to attack. Um, so I guess, you know, that's what our Australian Women's Sevens team was built on is our attacking game and having those skills and then just working really hard for each other in defence. And I think that's something I always tried to pride myself on is my defence. I knew attack would come naturally. Um, I didn't really have to try so much in that part of the game, but defence, you know, that's something I always had to work really hard on um, to make sure that I didn't let down the team. She's been humble as I expected, but the listeners should YouTube Emily Cherry highlights. We might actually share some on our socials because her footwork is deadly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's great. Um, now you gave birth to your beautiful daughter, Alice, in 2019. What has that been like becoming a mom for the first time and how did you transition back to rugby um, after giving birth? Yeah, it's a really hard thing to describe. Um, you know, once you, know, you become a mother, you find this whole new love of life and love for someone that you don't think existed before and, um, you know, and just so much more love, um, not so, so much more love, but a different kind of love for your partner too to see how much you can both share in loving this new thing you've created. And um, she's absolutely awesome. She's so much fun and, um, you know, she's challenging me already. She's not even two and some of the things she does is <laughs> extremely cheeky and she knows it's wrong but will do anyway and give me a big smile and run <laughs> off and, um, you know, we'll have our hand full um, the next few years. Yes, that's for sure. Um, but, yeah, I guess then having Alice and coming back, it was, um, yeah, it was hard to adapt. But I guess I was lucky that I got to stay in the program the whole time. Um, you know, Rugby Australia supported me through that. And I was a, 
able to stay around the girls in a real, um, I guess, period that was really changing for my life and, you know, um, something that obviously I'd never experienced before, but I was able to stay around my friends and see them every day and them support me along that journey. And that was something um, I'm incredibly grateful for and that made the transition definitely easier. Um, You know, physically, your body is just just never the same after childbirth, (laughs) no matter what anyone will say. um, It's just not the same. And I guess it's probably taken me, um, you know, those two years now, I'm starting to think, oh, probably a year and a half um, post going, oh, yep, I'm getting back to normal just, um, you know, abdominal-wise. Like, you know, your stomach obviously blows out and every muscle with it blows out. And to get that back finally and get that stability, I think that was something I really lacked when I first came back uh, was that stability through my whole body. Getting to the sad part, um, (laughs) during the week you made the public announcement that you had made the decision to retire from the game of Rugby Sevens. How did you come to that decision and and what part of that whole process do you think you found the hardest? Uh, Yeah, it was was heartbreaking. Um, I cried for nights and days and in front of everyone. Um, I think, you know, leading up probably before Christmas, it was on my mind, but I hadn't voiced that to anyone. Um, It wasn't until kind of after we came back from the Christmas break and started playing games again that, you know, I started sharing with my family and close friends that, you know, I probably wasn't in the position that I wanted to be playing. And there were so many things going through my mind that, you know, I would have a few sleepless nights. And I think once you think, um, yeah, maybe I should retire, like, that was it for me that I didn't want to ever, I couldn't ever put that thought out of my head. If I was having that thought, I was probably done. Mm. Um, and when I finally probably did lose that, you know, it was such a relief to me. Um, and there were so many, I think, you know, facets to that decision as to any big decision in your life. Um, there was obviously a physical side of it that my body was just falling apart and still kind of is. And, um, <laughs> you know, we're still trying to mend it that, um, you know, after, you know, saying we've retired, it's a relief now that, you know, Alice, I can take her for a run or I can take the dog for a walk and not have to worry about protecting my body because, you know, on Monday I'm going to have to rock up to train and train my absolute hardest. Mm. Um, so, yeah, that physical side of my body just being absolutely done after 10 years um, was a big part of it. And then, obviously, Alice, um, you get extreme mum guilt. Um, you know, any mother will probably know that sending you to, to daycare or not being there all the time, being away for weeks or having to quarantine for weeks um, that we didn't know at the time, mm. that that played a big part of it, that I didn't want to, you know, miss four week, five weeks of her life over her second birthday and things like that. But, um, you know, I was much more comfortable, you know, knowing now that I'm here and these are the days I've set out and this is definitely, I guess, during COVID, it made it so hard that, um, you know, our schedule was changing every week and yeah. we'd be going to Darwin next week and you'd only find out on the Wednesday and, like, I'm Alice's, um, Daniel works obviously a normal job and I'm with Alice the rest if I'm not in at training. So, you know, it's getting really hard to organise people to look after her on such short notice, I guess, after thinking, oh, yeah, it's only going to be 12 months and then it turns into, oh, no, it's going to be two years. Yeah. Um, 
you know, people with normal jobs having that much time off, it just became really, really hard and, you know, I felt guilty at the end of the day. Um, so I guess they were two really big things that came in and then, um, I guess you asked about the hardest part was obviously telling all you girls because that's, um, you know, why I love to play. Um, you know, I love being out there and competing and pushing myself. But, um, you know, I love sitting down in the change rooms and having a laugh with all the girls and going on tour and, you know, having KFC after we win a tournament and singing yeah. the songs together in change rooms. And all those hearts, that was the hardest, telling the girls because I knew that those moments aren't going to happen anymore, aren't going to happen as often um, or, you know, uh, isn't going to be my job to, for that to happen, that it's going to be, you know, that social side of it. So, um, yeah, I guess that was definitely the hardest. And I probably think telling my mum would be the hardest but it ended up being the easiest um, and, you know, that was a great feeling for me too once I told her and she was like, oh, yep, cool, like what's next? Like let's – like you've been awesome um, and was so supportive that, uh, you know, I'm so lucky to have her um, – and for her to be like that as well. Yeah. Well, that's incredible. Um, you will still be involved in the prep for Tokyo with the girls. Um, what will that look like? Yeah, so um, as I said, rugby's probably been um, so accommodating to me over off for nearly two years. Oh, well, not quite, but um, them supporting me through that and now supporting me in this kind of transition period. Um, I was lucky they said, yep, yeah, we'll see you through to the end of the contract if you're willing to kind of hang around and help us where you can and, um, you know, at the moment that just fits into analysis side and, you know, doing some of the skills with rehab because they're usually left by themselves with one or two people who so just, um, you know, making them feel still a part of the team. And then I've started helping with the youth side of it. Um, I'm a teacher. I've got a university degree. I'm not a teacher. I've got a university degree <laughs> in teaching that I've never used. I <laughs> think I've taught, but um, I've got a teaching degree. Um, so I obviously love that development side of it. Um, so, yeah, I've started doing the youth stuff and I absolutely love that. I would love to be involved in that in the future. Um, you know, what that looks like, we don't know yet. Um, but, yeah, I guess I'm just, as I said, I'm stoked to still be around the girls um, for this last little bit. And uh, my goal is still for the Australian Women's Sevens team to win gold, even though, you know, my plans have changed and I'm not going to be on that field helping them do that, that um, I'm going to do everything in my power so our team can still win gold. Yeah, I love that. Um, to finish off, will we see the daughters of the Aussie Sevens greats? We've got your daughter, Alice, is <laughs> now Tilly Lucas. Um, Weiwei's got a couple of girls. Yeah. Nicole Beck has four. Like, we can make a Sevens team. Like, <laughs> that, that's a Sevens team there. <laughs> <laughs> She's got four. I think we've nearly got 12. 12 already, pretty much. So sign them up. Yeah, sign next gen up. already sorted. <laughs> It's going to be a formidable bunch coming through. And I think, um, you know, I made a joke with Maddie Elliott, uh, Maddie Anderson, the other day. Yeah, Mads has um, got a little girl as well. Yeah, she's got a girl too. Like how cool that we are raising the next generation of determined and fierce little girls running out there. And I think it's really cool now when um, you know, Alice is footy on TV or footy at the park, anything, she th- associates that with the girls and she associates that with mum. So, We'll drive past NRL on the TV and she'll say, oh, mum, mum, mum. And I think that's the coolest thing. That's so cool. She's not even two yet and she thinks that that's girls playing on the TV. Um, she mainly thinks so. People wearing headgear is mum. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty iconic. Like, though. Headgear, your headgear. Like, 
So it's pretty amazing, I think, to see in the, even in the next you know few years those girls coming through that saw us win in Rio um, now playing as well. It's yeah, it's going to be uh, really cool to see how competitive the sport gets. Yeah, absolutely. Um, congratulations on such an incredible career. It's been um, oh, I'm going to get emotional. Oh, oh no, no. Sorry, I'm going to get emotional. Too. <laughs> it's been such an honour to play alongside you as a teammate. You're one of um, oh my gosh, why am I crying? You're going to make me cry. I'm usually um, the crier. Yeah. Um, yeah, just to play alongside you as a teammate, the way that you approach the game and read the game from a professionalism perspective, but your humility and everything that you've achieved over so many years is um, just inspiring. And it's, yeah, just just been such a huge honour for me. And I know so many of the girls to have the chance to be your teammate, but learn from you and, and all of your experience. So thank you so much um, for everything that you've given to the game. No, thank you very much. <laughs> As I said, that is my favourite part of it was you girls and being around you girls. And I guess I'm so lucky to have had the chances and experiences I have. And you know, you girls will always be, um, we'll always be friends forever now. So um, I think we're pretty lucky walking away from the sport like that. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks so much. Thanks, Mel. Thanks, Chloe. Just wanted to add a little note as well. I saw a number of the girls do posts on social media to congratulate. Um, Emily on such an illustrious career um, and uh, there, there were so many comments from them saying how um, she was the reason that they got involved with Sevens. They, she had inspired them. So I just think it's um, beautiful how much she's inspired so many girls into mm. that sport. Um, not only has she had an incredible professional career, but she's made an impact on so many girls' lives. So um, awesome to see and good luck to Em on whatever comes next. Let's take a look at what to watch. In hockey, the Hockey Roos and the Black Sticks have played out three consecutive draws in the Trans-Tasman series. So Tuesday's fourth and final match is a genuine winner-takes-all encounter. Tune in on Sky Sports at 3.30pm Australian Eastern Standard Time. In tennis, the French Open kicked off on Sunday night and continues throughout the week. World number one Ash Barty will begin her campaign on Tuesday night against American Bernard Pira. Barty will be defending her crown, having won the French Open in 2019. All the best, Barty. In netball, the New South Wales Derby between the Giants and the Swifts is on Sunday the 6th of June starting at 1pm. Catch it live on Channel 9 or, even better, get yourself to Ken Rosewall Arena to watch the two teams rip in. And that's the wrap. Thanks heaps for joining us to get your weekly hit of women's sports news. If you liked it, hit subscribe and send it on to one person you think could benefit from it. The wrap will drop every Tuesday morning wherever you get your podcasts to cover the big achievements, a favourite story and what to watch in the coming week. For my interviews with top female athletes, we're currently on a break and giving you a chance to catch up on all the eps for season one. Keep up to date on our Instagram at The Female Athlete Project for when we launch season two. See you next week, Chloe. Bye. Wow, we're really not, not singing. Okay. <laughs>